What if there was a different way to live and work? Beyond the hustle and hype. Beyond the never-ending race to get more, do more, be more. A way that's grounded, intuitive, intentional, and in line with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Wellpreneur with me, your host, Amanda Cook. Together, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. I invite you to plant your feet on the earth, slow down, tune in, and get ready to create a life of meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wellpreneur Podcast. This week, I'm talking to Wellpreneur Jenny Tishi, who's known as the Lunchbox Doctor. Jenny not only runs the website, The Lunchbox Doctor, but she's also a best-selling author, and she's frequently on local and national radio and also television here in the UK, as well as having a fabulous public speaking career. And so I really wanted to bring Jenny onto the podcast when we met in person a few weeks ago. We were introduced by Alex Stewart, the author of Low Talks Life. We all met up for breakfast, and I just thought Jenny was a fantastic example of a wellness entrepreneur and, you know, shaping her career in a way that really plays to her strengths because she's such a strong communicator and also loves to do recipe development. So she's really created her business around what works the best for her. So I think you're really going to like this. Now, don't forget that this Tuesday, the 18th of December, is our final 2019 planning discussion in our Wellpreneur community group on Facebook. So this week, we're talking all about an editorial calendar. What does that mean? An editorial calendar is the way that you plan your content for the next few months and even the next year. So using the process that I'm going to explain, you're going to be able to come up with content that is really appealing to your own ideal client and create a calendar of that so you know exactly what to create. Basically, you're eliminating that problem where you're like, oh my gosh, I have to post a blog post this week, or I've got to release a video. What am I going to talk about? And you just end up pulling something out of thin air. That is not the way to get content to grow your business. And this week, we're going to talk about how to fix that. This 2019 planning series is all in celebration of my newly released Wellpreneur Planner, which is available worldwide on Amazon. Using the Wellpreneur Planner, which is a combination workbook and planner, I'll walk you through the process of planning for your most incredible year yet in your wellness business using online marketing. So you'll go through the workbook, we'll come up with a plan for the next 12 months, and then you'll also have space to really track your goals and results as you move through the next year. It's really awesome. There's a whole bunch of us already using it and sharing our photos in the group and on social media, sharing sharing what we're creating. I'd love to have you be part of it. So remember, you can get the Wellpreneur Planner on Amazon, and also you can come hang out with us in our Wellpreneur Community Group on Facebook to talk about this episode, to talk about your own 2019 planning, to ask questions, and of course, to share your work in the planner. As always, we'll put all the links to everything in the show notes at wellpreneuronline.com in case you missed anything here or anything that Jenny and I talk about. Now let's hop over to this interview with Jenny, the Lunchbox Doctor. Hi, Jenny, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So we met a few weeks ago in person, actually, which was so cool through Alex of Low Tox Life. That's right. Yeah, we, it took an Australian to come to London to connect the two of us who live here. <laughs> it was so cool, though. It was great. I love I love like serendipity like that, getting connected to somebody. And I met you were asking me what I did for my business. And I thought, 
Well, you're a wellpreneur. I mean, it was just such, it's such great synergy. So I'm excited to share your story with everybody on the show. So why don't we start off like I usually do by just, if I can ask you, how do you explain what it is that you do? <laughs> I, uh, well, I divide it into two things. So I am a nutritionist and I am a best-selling author. I'm a speaker and a brand ambassador. And that's what I do as the main part of my business. And that's what I'm now becoming known for. But people might know the brand Lunchbox Doctor, which is what I founded back in 2012 in response to the nature of the lunchboxes that I noticed people were providing for their children or people were eating in the workplace at that time in this country. But having set that brand up and become known as um, I subsequently became known as the UK's lunchbox expert, I realized that actually it's beyond the UK as an issue. It goes to, you know, reaches much further to Australia, to America. So there are two areas, really. I am the founder of something called The Lunchbox Doctor, but I am also a nutritionist in my own right who creates recipes, books, and speaks on the subject of nutrition, um, demystifying, uh, the, you know, the, the complexities of what I think can be, a, it actually can be quite a straightforward subject, but most people seem to overcomplicate it. Those are the two aspects of what I do. So what did you do before you got into the wellness area, before you became the lunchbox doctor? What was that journey like? Well, I, like most people, I think, I well, I say most people, that's a great assumption, but I did follow a fairly kind of traditional career path in the sense that uh, I went to school and then I went to university and I uh, got my degree and then I went into a graduate trainee program with a large corporate and it was uh, very much a time of growth. So it was the dot-com boom. And I literally just kept them getting promoted and promoted and promoted to a point of incompetence, if I can say that, because I felt like I'd been promoted based on what was going on around me than necessarily the knowledge that I had gained in such a short period of time myself. And so I did feel very much out of my comfort zone as a direct of a division of this large multinational. And um, that's when I started to think about what else I wanted to do. But it actually took a physical problem to push me over the edge into studying for another degree. Mm, so then how did you go from wanting to study nutrition to deciding you were going to be the lunchbox doctor? Did you have any inkling that was the direction you were going to go in? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, um, the studying of the of nutrition was really more that I just felt I wanted to know more about this subject. And it was probably quite a personal crusade because, like I say, I was um, it was a physical issue that kind of pushed me over the edge. I had been um, playing quite high level hockey, field hockey, and I had a back injury that forced me to stop. And I I then probably because it was such a, a personal interest, I, I really did throw myself into studying nutrition and have my two children whilst I was doing the degree. And so because I had all this sort of new knowledge and it was so, I was so passionate, still am, about the subject, I started probably very much to live and breathe nutrition. And it was because I was living and breathing it. I wasn't just providing advice to others through talks and through one-to-one -one consultations that because my own life was being affected by my knowledge, as in sending my daughter to school and realizing that actually she didn't have what everyone else seemed to be having in their lunchboxes that made me realize that actually this, what we, what, why are we all following this new norm? Why are we all providing a white bread sandwich and uh, crisps and yogurt and you know, all the things that we wouldn't necessarily think are healthy, but because everyone else is doing it. And that's really how Lunchbox Doctor came to be formed. But it sort of, um, it morphed. And, uh, you know, as I became more well-known, then I guess other opportunities came. And that's when I realized that I needed to, to create the division between the two aspects of what I do. 
So I know that in your business, you do a lot of public speaking and you're on TV and radio. So I guess we could say you're really putting yourself out there, right? And I'm really curious, like before you started doing that for the Lunchbox Doctor and for your personal brand, did you have experience doing that? I know being on TV and radio and just getting your message out in a bigger way is something that is a big dream for a lot of wellpreneurs, but they also have a lot of fear around it. So I wonder if you could share kind of what your experience was with that. You know, it's really interesting you say that because actually last week I spoke in front of an audience of people and there was a lady in that audience who had known me when I first started out on my uh, wellness journey, if you like, in terms of when I was newly graduated. In fact, she was one of my first clients and she had heard me speak very early on in my career. And she came up to me afterwards and she said, wow, she said, you, you know, what, what, what have you been doing? How have you become such an accomplished speaker? And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that when you find that there's something, I'm not good at plenty of things, I will say that, but I do really enjoy speaking. And it is something that I've come to later in life because I certainly didn't used to enjoy it in my old role. And I think that's because I never really felt that I could connect with the content. But when I can connect with the content and I do put myself out of my comfort zone ever so slightly on a regular basis, I do take all these speaking opportunities. And I'm a big fan of the work of Matthew Syed. He's written a fantastic book called Bounce, and it's actually referring to sports and practice and practice in sports. But the ethos is that if you practice something enough, you can become really good at it. But in order to practice it enough, you're going to have to be passionate enough about it. And I think those two things have come together for me in this particular arena. I've found something I'm passionate about and I'm willing, therefore, to practice it multiple times. And as a result of that, I've become much more confident. That doesn't mean that I haven't made really big screw ups along the way. I haven't said things that I regret. Of course I have. But I have put myself out there. I speak on uh, local radio a lot, national radio. Sometimes I've done presenting for national TV. And, and I do speak in front of audiences, but I actually really enjoy it now. Do you work with the Speakers Bureau or how have you been able to get those opportunities? I don't. And actually, it's something that people have said to me I need to. And it's certainly in one of the next stages in my journey. But I don't have that. I At various stages, I've had various people working on my behalf. I did have an agent at one point. I didn't seek an agent. The agent found me. And then they, I say they, there were a group of people represented me in towards the media. So they would find opportunities for me to speak, etc. But I don't have and haven't had that organization working with me for some time. The only way really that I have found speaking opportunities now and even before that is through word of mouth. And it's as soon as I seem to provide that kind of uh, connect, well, there, there is that connection with one organization. It does seem that there's always connections to other organizations. And the opportunities have just kept on coming. Mm. Thank goodness. Absolutely. So if you could give a little advice to a wellpreneur listening who doesn't have the word of mouth working for them yet, how would you advise that they get their first speaking opportunities? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that we're very privileged to be in the position of, we can actually do our very own market research. And one of the things that I do, I actually lecture at my old university where I learned, where I did my nutrition degree. And um, I say, look, you know, you're out there and you're talking to clients in your area because you're starting to build your books and build your clientele. They're your market research. Social media is your market research. And what that helps you do is identify what it is that people seek perhaps from you more so than other people or what the trends are in your area or certainly things that people really want to know more about. At the time that I first graduated, I actually just created a couple of workshops 
One was called Beat the Bloat. And it was about um, irritable bowel syndrome. And then the other one was, I'm trying to think, it was something to do with energy and I can't remember the name of it. But I created these two workshops and I put them on and people paid something like £10 to come and hear me speak in a local village hall. I just did it. And as a result of that, I got three clients from each of those talks, each of those workshops. And then it just kind of kept on going from there. So although, as I say, I wasn't the best speaker when I first started out, I certainly couldn't have become better if I hadn't started out. So I would say to anyone, if you can work out, do your market research, both on a very kind of primary level and a secondary level. So primary being, you know, what you can learn from your clinic or what you can learn from your social media. And secondary, more so from, you know, what you can learn from the media and what's prevalent, what's what's trending, if you like, at that time. And work out what resonates with people, what they want to know more about. And if you have personal experience of that issue, even better, because you know you're going to talk passionately about it in front of an audience of people. And then I would arrange some some local talks with a group of people that you think are going to listen and, and perhaps be good people for, you know, sort of um, uh, telling others about how good you are. Then get out there and speak to them. And that would be my way to start out. Just start. <laughs> mm, I completely agree, because a lot of times people think, well, what's the point of even doing a speaking opportunity if like only five people are going to be there? But actually, you have to start somewhere because your first ones, they'll probably be your smallest ones and they'll probably be your worst ones. But you have to you have to start there and go through that to get better. Exactly. And audiences don't just grow bigger and bigger as you get more and more well known. You know, that's maybe one of those things that we think is going to happen. But the reality is, you know, I had talks at the beginning where I had 10 people. I've had talks even two or three years ago where I've had a handful of people and yet I can be in front of an audience of 800, 900 people at other events, you know, so you can't lose faith because you don't get the audience. You know, that's often not your fault and it certainly isn't personal. (laughs) So just, you know, if you can take the opportunity to get out there, you don't know who that person in the audience knows or who they are or how they're related. When I talked about that agent that I had, that they found me, I was on a radio show with one of their other clients and they found me because they said, well, we want to represent you. So, you know, I didn't know they were listening. I didn't know they were in the green room. (laughs) Who would have done? But you just never know. So I think it's worth just getting out there and speaking to audiences of any size and don't lose heart when they're small in number, but obviously get the experience from that. So I'd love to talk about your experience with book publishing, because I know that's something that a lot of Wellpreneurs dream about. And I know you've told me that you love recipe development, and now you get to do that as you're writing books. So I'd love if you could talk about how your book writing journey came about. Yeah, so the the recipe development came, I guess, kind of organically, but it was one of those things that I felt that you can speak about nutrition, but in order to make it really practical, you need to show people how easy it can be. So I started to create recipes that I shared via my website, but then also um, some of the clients that I got, like corporate clients came along and said, could you develop recipes for sports nutrition or could you develop recipes for marathon runners or, you know, IBS or, I mean, this last uh, this last week I've been doing um, a recipe development for a brand of prebiotics that you can add into um, one pot meals because the you know, simple cooking is, is my thing. And so I got to, people started to know me as someone that not only could talk about nutrition, but could actually you know, cook. And I've done like lots and lots of food festivals all over the world where I've cooked and spoken at the same time, which is quite an interesting <laughs> thing to be doing at any, any one time, trying to concentrate on making sure you don't burn something whilst answering someone's intense question. That's a skill in its own right. But doing that made me realize how much I enjoyed creating recipes. And certainly when people were sort of saying, well, where, you know, where can we get more recipes from you? We need a book. And 
So actually, I kind of just put it back out to my social media following and said, well, how do I how do I get a book? You know, if you want recipes, I need a recipe book deal, because if I looked at doing all of those images and professional images myself, it just it was the cost was just phenomenal. So I said, OK, I need a deal. So someone said, well, like, well, I had loads of responses to that post, but it was, um, you know, ultimately someone said, look, go and talk to a literary agent. And I did. And um, luckily, uh, they're a partnership. One of the two thought that it was a goer and kept on working together for about a year. And then we got my first book deal. In fact, got three book deals in about four months. So that was hard work, really hard work. But two recipe books and a book on gut health and probiotics uh, later. And I'm currently writing book number four. Thank you so much for sharing your complete journey about that, because I think a lot of times we get the idea that, oh, look, I'm just blogging and a book deal fell out of the sky. And of course, yes, that does happen from time to time. But like in your story, what we see is that you set the intention that you wanted to write a book and then you went out and got an agent and then it put the wheels in motion to make it happen. So for people that aren't familiar, could you talk a little bit about the role an agent plays and how you work with an agent? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So literary agents, they know the industry inside out. They know the publishers. They know which publishers would want to spe- or do specialize in certain areas and which ones are looking for perhaps a particular type of book at the time. So a bit like a kind of um, like a dating agency almost trying to match the right author with the right publisher. But of course, there's something in it for them. They're going to take a cut and that's why they do it. But because they have that superior knowledge, if you are someone that's trying to get a publishing deal from scratch, it would be very, very difficult to know which publisher you should be talking or publishers you should be talking to, i.e. which ones specialize in your area and certainly which ones might be looking for someone like you at the time. And that's the critical difference, I think, between working with a literary agent or not. So from my perspective, I uh, approached the literary agent. I said, look, these are the sorts of things I would like to talk about, to work on. And initially, the, the first two deals that I got, they weren't exactly what I initially went to my literary agent with. But what we discovered was there was a real market for the sorts of recipes that I was creating. We just needed to market them slightly differently. So my first book was all about sheet pan cooking, things that you put onto a roasting tray and put in the oven. So minimal washing up, minimal you know, um, difficulty involved. And the second one was all about things that you cook in one pot. And so you can see that, you know, there is an idea. The market wants something, recipes that are simple to produce, that don't require a lot of um, effort, knowledge and skill and do have minimal washing up because we're all busy. And so that's what I created because the market wanted what I could offer. We just had to slightly tweak what my offering was because it's not about me. It's about what the market needs. And that's the important thing. Absolutely. So I'm curious that when you work with a publisher to publish your book, how much of the promotion do you have to do versus how much does the publisher handle? They do a lot, actually. The first book I published, I had a double page spread in the Sunday Telegraph, which was amazing, and lots of other coverage in national magazines. And they did a lot of that work because they have those connections. You see, that's an advantage of going with a publisher, particularly if you get the right kind of publisher and the one that I was lucky enough to get my two recipe book deals with is so, so well connected because they do such beautiful cookery books that the publications that they want to present the books in are, you know, think very highly of the publisher. So that works really well. In terms of other kind of coverage, the the publisher would ask me if there was any, any particular publication that I 
thought was relevant or if I had particular connections of my own, because sometimes we do. We might have a journalist that constantly asks us, or we might have a radio show that we talk on a lot. And those people might be you know, getting preferential treatment, i.e. they might get a book sent to them to review and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I would say from my perspective, the publisher has done a lot of the hard work there. I have had to point them in the right direction at times, but uh, it's a really good open line of communication. Awesome. Okay, I'd like to shift gears a little bit and go back to the business side. So what has surprised you about running your own business in the wellness industry? Ah, right. Well, um, I feel looking at my journey prior to being in the wellness industry and my journey since beginning in this industry that I feel what would be really helpful to as a parent as well <laughs> uh, to, to the next generation is to to almost do an apprenticeship so that you understand business. Because I think the biggest shock for me was, as I said to you before, at the very beginning, I was put into a position where I was constantly being promoted within a large multinational. At no point did I really learn the ropes. I just kept on being made responsible for bigger and bigger projects. And what that meant for me is that I didn't really understand how business worked. And the way the education system, certainly in this country, works is that you don't often study business as a qualification. My first degree was in geography with European studies. At no point did I study, you know, marketing and at no point did I study finances and accounting and anything like that. So for me, the biggest challenge has been having to become a business person when I have no training in that. Um, And it's really on the job training. And certainly, I believe I would have made far less mistakes if I had had some background training in how to run a business. Mm. So I'm curious that as a wellpreneur, you know, we're running businesses in the wellness industry, but we also need to think about walking our talk and keeping ourselves well while running and growing our businesses. So I'm curious if you could share some of your personal rituals or routines that help you stay balanced and healthy and, and well as you're growing your business. Yeah, well, I'm um, funny. I probably, well, I read a lot and that's certainly something and that's probably a continuum of my own education. But yeah, it's funny. One of my children said to me the other day, gosh, you read so much, mom, you read so much. And I think I do because that's kind of my, it's both my downtime and my time to to learn more, but it not necessarily always focused on nutrition, just on the wider aspects. So when I first graduated with my nutrition degree, I will be honest, I felt a little bit cocky. You know, I thought nutrition was the answer to everything. And it's, I soon realized that unless you look after the other aspects of your health, then it's no use just having this one aspect at 100 percent. You've got to look after your mental well-being. You've got to look after your physical well-being. And so from my perspective, doing all of this reading and yes, some, some downtime, I've learned that there are so many different aspects to our overall health and well-being. And so from my perspective, I've, I've managed to try and focus quite heavily on my family because I think that, you know, that's very important to me and my family's well-being. So uh, something that's very important to us as a family is eating together every single evening if we can. <laughs> So I think that's absolutely critical. But in terms of my overall kind of well-being rituals, I would say absolute taking time out, having some moments for me, some mindfulness, some creative time. And again, that's something that I can be guilty of actually getting so busy with work, being so reactionary that I don't take the time to be the very person that I meant to be, which is this creative person. How do you come up with new recipes if you don't ever give yourself time to think? So getting back into the kitchen is really important to me and carving out time in my day in order to do that without necessarily having to create a recipe for a client. That's important. But also making sure that I have balance throughout the day. So exercise, sleep, 
you know, routines around those things and routines around time that I get to spend with different people, not just my family, but friends as well as my work. So those are the things that have become very important to me. But I would say that's not always in perfect balance, but it certainly is far better today than it would have been five years ago. I'm curious how you handle social media and what your relationship with social media is. Do you enjoy doing it? Is it something you do regularly? Do you have other people helping you? What's your relationship with it? Um, <laughs> so I have, a, I have quite, I guess, an interesting relationship with social media. I'm getting to the point at this stage that I feel like it can become too much in our lives. And I think that's because as you become more well-known, you are much more exposed to social media, both its negatives and its positives. The reality is that at the other end of social media, very few people know the real you. Very few people have actually met you. They don't know your, your morals. They don't know your background. They don't really know who you are as a person. They only know what you say on social media. So they only see one presentation of yourself. And so I think, you know, it is a fantastically powerful medium for communication. And I have definitely, definitely benefited from being quite active on social media. But I do think it has a downside. And I think going back to the rituals that help sort of protect me and my own health, I have to have time out from social media. Otherwise, it can become all consuming and it becomes too reactionary and you lose your creativity. So it's, again, balance and making sure that you only assign a certain amount of time to it every day. Mm -hmm. I've noticed too for myself that there's a big element of how social media makes me feel. So like if I'm just on Facebook or Instagram, you know, am I feeling expanded and uplifted and positive or am I feeling kind of like, and bad about myself and down. And since I've been able to recognize like how those feelings on social media affect me, then I try as I'm on social media to pay attention to that. And if I notice myself starting to get that feeling, then I'll make myself stop scrolling and just get off and do something else. Exactly. And it's a, you can't control what you're exposed to on social media. If you pick up a book, you know the subject of the book, you know what you might come across. You don't know what you're going to come across with social media. And so I think, you know, as much as you can be proactive with your social media, you know, the the reason we we are all in this industry is because we have a purpose. We believe we have a message that's worth sharing with other people. Use it for that because you can reach people and you can change people's lives and their well-being. But don't get drawn into it. Don't get drawn into the negativity as as much as you can not get drawn into it. You know, that's the one thing I would say. I I have to definitely manage if there's any negativity or if someone uh, someone once gave my one of my books a bad review. And somebody else contacted me and said, well, you know, that person actually knows you. I was like, they don't actually know me. They know they think they know me, but they don't know that they've never actually met me. And, you know, and I think things like that, you just have to go, right, well, I'm just going to have to put that to one side because I've got to look after myself, uh, look after my family. And there's things that are far more important in life than that. Mm, I'm really glad you mentioned about the bad reviews because I've found that too. Like on my book on Amazon, I think I have like 70 something reviews and they're almost all five stars right? Which is awesome. And just recently, I got my first one star review. And like, that's the one that sticks out in my mind, which is crazy, even though I like have all these other great reviews, but that one person said, oh, this book is like fluff. And somebody said, oh, it's just about the UK market. Like what? This this doesn't even make any sense. I know both of those aren't true. And everyone else is happy with it. But like, that's the thing that sticks in my head. And we focus on it because it's the one negative thing and we're human beings and that's what we do. 
But the reality is, you know, with it, like I say, there are so many more important things in life. And not only that, but, you know, in the nicer sense, if it was one of my children and they were experiencing something like this, I'd say it's their problem, not yours. And that's exactly what we have to remember. It has to be their issue. <laughs> it can't be ours. It, it just can't be when there's so many other positive Ooh. reviews, you know? Yeah. And not everyone's going to like you anyway. Right. So I'm really glad you shared your thoughts on that. So I'd just like to wrap up by asking you one more question, which is if you could go back to when you were just finishing your nutrition studies and give yourself one piece of advice, what would you tell yourself? Oh, that's a great question. Um, that's a really good question because I am not sure that I knew what direction this was going to go in because I did think it was like a hobby, me just finding out more information about nutrition. But I would say, going back to the question you asked me about, um, you know, sort of what I've learned, I would say, understand more about business. Give yourself time to understand that, you know, the business side, or if you can study the business side at the same time as you're studying for this new qualification, give it as much importance as you give the knowledge. Because the running of the business part, I think, was the biggest shock to me. And you realize that what you have to offer, the offering you have to make, has to be, you know, the, the gift at the end of all of the hard work, which is running the business. And if you can afford to outsource those bits, then fantastic. But very few of us can in the early days. So um, get to know and understand how small businesses work and then use your amazing knowledge and your amazing skills to get out there and to actually provide that to people. Um, so, you know, the business runs smoothly in the background. Oh, wonderful. Okay, Jenny, tell people where they can find you to get in touch with you to learn more about your work and find your books, all the good stuff like that. Yeah, sure. So um, so my surname is long and complicated, but I'll spell it. I'm Jenny, T-S-C-H-I-E-S-C-H-E dot com. Or you can have a look at lunchboxdoctor.com. And Facebook is lunchboxdoctor, but all other social media is my name. Oh, thank you. Okay, we'll link up all of that in the show notes and also mention some in the Facebook group so that people can find those links. So, oh, Jenny, thank you so much for being here. It's been really great talking to you today. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur podcast. As always, you can get all the links in the show notes, which are on the website at wellpreneuronline.com. And if you haven't done your own 2019 planning yet, it is not too late. Come over and join us in our Wellpreneur community group on Facebook. And also check out the Wellpreneur planner, which is now available on Amazon to help you plan your most incredible year yet. Okay, have a fantastic week. And I will see you back here next week for another fantastic interview with an inspiring wellness entrepreneur. Have a great one.